National Archives podcast series, Modern Sources for Immigration. My name is Roger Kershaw, and I'm the head of Records Knowledge, which is part of a new department in the National Archives called Advice and Records Knowledge. And I'm going to talk to you today on the subject of modern sources for immigration at the National Archives. Now, immigration, as I'm sure you know, is a it's always a topical subject. Uh, only today on the news, if you read the newspapers, it says that by 2030, the population of the UK should increase to 75 million people, largely through increased immigration. And whenever it's discussed, uh, immigration can have very positive points, such as the rebuilding of the UK after the Second World War, but it's also often associated with negative aspects as well. And in By no surprise, the records, if you go back looking in records of immigration from the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th and 20th century, you get evidence of both the negative aspect and the positive aspect of immigration. And this is what I'll try and bring across in the talk this afternoon. Okay. If you're not familiar with our website, the address is www.nationalarchives.gov.uk. And on the website, there are some 250 research guides which reflect the subjects of archives and documents stored here at the National Archives. You can easily download them following the prompts. And there are a number of research guides that relate specifically to the subject of immigration and immigrants. And these are the titles of them. Immigration, Internees, Anglo-Jewish History, Passenger Lists, and Naturalization and Citizenship and also recently one entitled Records of Refugees and Minority. Also, last year we introduced a new page on our website which is called Your Archives, which is very much like the wiki site uh, available through Google. And this really allows uh, anyone to research and store knowledge about people, places, subjects, events and records which are linked with archives or history or records. And it was launched in 2006, and there are now 1,500 articles which contain a wide variety of sources uh, available at the National Archives. And it's easily uh, searched through a search engine on part of the site, but also you can search it via Google as well. And quite a lot relates to immigration, so it's worth constantly checking that for a source. And if you want to take it further, there are two books available through the National Archives which were both co-written by myself. Uh, One is called Immigrants and Aliens. The second edition came out in 2004. And the other, which was uh, published last year, is one of the series of small guides called Family History. This particular one is called Family History on the Move. And I wrote these with uh, Mark Pearsall, who is the National Archives family historian. Okay, I'm really going to split this talk into three areas, starting off with records of arrival. So records which physically record the arrival of aliens or immigrants into this country. And I've chosen, when I say modern records, uh, the date 1793, because this was the first time when Britain introduced a form of control at the entries or ports of non-British people coming into the country. And it was a war measure because the Napoleonic Wars were underway and uh, obviously the government were keen to control the number of foreigners entering the country. And you'll note that I used the term alien throughout the talk, and it might seem quite archaic and it might seem quite disrespectful, but uh, 
In terms of the records, the term alien is used constantly up until 1971, which is when the Immigration and Nationality Directorate became part of the Home Office. Prior to that time, the, 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 the department responsible was the Aliens Office of the Home Office. So you'll see the word alien used to describe immigrants uh, really throughout uh, the records of the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, and if you go further back, if you're interested in, in looking at immigration before the 18th century, you'll need to use descriptive terms such as strangers or foreigners, which were, strangers in particular, was a term used in medieval and early modern times. So, let's start with records of arrival. Uh, I really want to explain to you why I've chosen 1793 and the fact that some records of arrival are better covered in certain periods of time than others and the reasons behind that. Uh, I'm also going to look at the actual records themselves. There's two arrival records that are relevant to the National Archives. One are certificates of arri arrival, which were basically certificates which were handed to aliens once they'd uh, entered the UK. And the other are lists of names of aliens uh, in the form of passenger lists. So, starting off with the legislative background, as I say, 1793, there was the passing of the Aliens Act, and again in 1798, and these were wartime measures. It was the first real system of regist registering aliens by means of declarations which were signed on arrival at UK ports. But it didn't just refer to aliens who were arriving. Resident aliens uh, had also to give their names and occupations and addresses to justices of the peace. And these records, where they, can, where they survive, can be found in local record office among quarter session records. Uh, also, householders, British householders, were required to, pro to provide a return of all the alien lodgers who were living on their premises. And these were known as accounts of aliens or householders' notices and overseers' returns. And again, from 1793, these were compiled, and they've worked their way where they survive uh, to local county record offices. So if you go to the Metropolitan uh, London Archive, you can find, uh, not complete, but you can certainly find lists of, for example, accounts of aliens for, for various parishes within the London area for the end of the 19th century. Uh, end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. So this legislation stayed in force, and in 1816 it was extended, as well as actually having declarations of aliens. Uh, masters of vessels landing in UK ports were required to declare in writing not just the number of aliens on board their vessels, but also their particulars, in particular their names and the descriptions of them in terms of... Um, their occupation. And also they uh, would be handed a certificate on arrival in UK ports. And these were carried out by customs officers and local agents. And copies of the uh, certificates would actually work their way to the aliens office and in, over the years have now ended up in the National Archives. And this continued in 1826 and 1836. There were more Aliens Acts. The Aliens Acts of 1826 and 36 were more related to dealing with foreign criminals and hostile persons, so they don't add much to the records that we hold here. 
And this legislation stayed in force until 1905, when the Aliens Act of 1905 totally overhauled the, the 19th century system. So let's have a look at the records themselves. As I say, certificates of arrival. Funnily enough, you'll find the very early certificates of arrival in a Foreign Office series, FO83. Now, the description of FO83 is simply general correspondence. And it runs from the 1700s through to, I think, the 1940s. So it's a very uh, miscellaneous series. Uh, but within the series, specifically pieces 21 and 22, there are declarations of aliens arriving in UK ports from 1811 and 1812. As far as I can see, no declaration survived before this time. So from 1793, when the Act was passed, until 1811, there doesn't appear to be any declarations of, U of aliens arriving in UK ports. And FO83, even though it's very good, it only actually survives for 1811 and 1812. The bulk of the records are actually in Home Office records. The series HO2 uh, contained the certificates of arrivals which were handed to aliens. And in HO3 you have the lists of aliens uh, which were compiled by masters of ships as they came into the UK ports. And the index to the certificates uh, are actually in HO5. So let's have a look at some of these in details. That's an example of FO83. This is actually piece 22. And as you see, uh, it relates to uh, September 1810. Uh, I don't fully understand why this has worked its way into a Foreign Office series. As you can see, the record was compiled by the Aliens Office. And as far as I can tell, the Aliens Office was always attached to the Home Office. So it's a little bit peculiar how it's ended up in a Foreign Office series. However, what the record shows you is that there are lists of aliens arriving at the port of Gravesend, and it's simply been listed out their names, where they are from. The first one, uh, Mr. Helvig, is a native of Prussia, and it gives you their occupations. I think the first one is a clerk on a British ship, and then you get other people who were in the Dutch Navy, if, if you work your way down the list. So, not perhaps great information, but nonetheless... Uh, lists of aliens coming into the UK. These people may have settled, they may have been merchants returning back to their places of origin. There's no name index to them. Uh, the records in these two pieces in FO83 are simply arranged chronologically by the coming off the ship and actually entering the port. But when we talk about certificates of arrival, this is the main series we are familiar with. It's HO2. And what's on the screen now is a certificate of arrival for the Port of London in 1842. And this one relates to uh, Frederick Engels, who came across to the UK and in fact settled uh, on a number of occasions in the 1830s and 40s. Uh, the actual coverage in HO2 for certificate of arrival is from 1836 through to 1852. What survives from 1826 to 36 is the index to the certificates, but the certificates themselves haven't survived. So even though the Act of Parliament was 1816, which set about issuing certificates of arrival, they don't actually survive until 1836. And they run until 1852. So even though they were still being issued right up until the 1905 Aliens Act, they 
do not survive beyond 1852 in the National Archives. And you can see the information that it contains. It tells you that these particular batches of certificates were issued for to aliens arriving at the Port of London, and each certificate uh, has a perforation mark, which indicates that one half of the certificate worked its way into the alien's office, which is on the screen, and the other ha half was handed to the alien himself, who would then go and declare the particulars to the local justices of the peace. So the information is the date of arrival, on this case the 19th of November 1842, the name and the country from which the person came from, so this is Frederick Engels, who was a merchant, and he'd arrived from Prussia, and it said from what port he had come from, so you can work out that his route was via Ostend. And he arrived on the vessel called, I think it says, Sir Edward Banks. Uh, and there's a remark there saying that he left in 1837, which is a bit strange because it's five years before he arrived. But I think it means that he previously had been in England and then left and then came back. And then you see in the left-hand corner a signature of Frederick Engels himself. So there's not a great lot of information, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's a good example of aliens' records uh, in the 19th century in the National Archives. Certain people were exempt from having to have a certificate, and essentially these people were foreign merchant seamen, ambassadors, and their domestic servants who came with them, and any children under the age of 14. So you won't get certificates of arrivals for aliens who fit into those categories. However, they should appear on the lists of aliens which uh, had to be compiled by masters of, of, of vessels arriving at British ports. And these are in the series HO3. Uh, there's no name index to them. You simply have to work your way through the quarterly returns arriving at the various ports of entry. Now, this example on the screen is HO3, and it's a corresponding list of aliens uh, which includes the name of Frederick Engels. So the information is very similar. The return has been submitted by the master of the vessel, Sir Edward Banks, and there's a list of aliens there, and halfway down towards the end you get Frederick Engels, again described as a merchant from the country of Prussia. So it doesn't really add anything to the certificates of arrival. The difference is that on these particular returns you should get listed children and also ambassadors and merchant seamen. I mean it doesn't go into great details of children. In the very top one you might see it says there's someone called uh, Mr. Aidenheimer I think and it said Fanny his wife and daughter so it doesn't actually list the name of his daughter but at least she's recorded on the actual return. Um, so you may want to know why uh, these records do not survive uh, throughout the period when the legislation was in force. The actual returns from masters survive from 1836 through to 1869, though there are significant gaps in the 1860s. Uh, the main reason that they didn't survive is that increasingly, particularly in the 1830s and 40s, uh, during the peaceful time within Europe, aliens were entering the country unchecked. So lots of aliens were entering without being given certificates of arrival or having their details entered uh, on, on the passenger lists. And a select committee on laws affecting aliens in 1843 
reported that in 1842 no lists were provided by masters for aliens arriving in London and there were no registrations. Yet it was estimated that over 7,000 aliens landed in the course of that year and there are similar investigations up and down the country which clearly showed that the customs officials were not doing their job effectively despite there being uh, quite severe fines for non for, for showing no records both for the alien him or herself and also for the customs officials uh, so increasingly these records become less reliable um, even though you may not be able to find an alien who you know came to Britain during the 1840s it may not be because he never came it's, it's more likely to be that he came without actually being recorded there are a number of additional finding aids which have been created to help get into these records, uh, much of which have been put together by the Anglo-German Family History Society, which is a society which is dedicated to improve uh, access to records relating to people of German origin. So it might be Germans, Austrians, or Polish people. And they've been through some 36,000 of these certificates and returns, and they printed a guide in which we've got available in the research inquiries room. Having said that, later next year, these records are currently being digitised, both the lists of aliens on the screen now and all the, also the certificates of aliens, uh, and more about that in a moment. Okay, the other record we talk about are passenger lists, and these are incoming records, board of passenger lists in the series BT-26. And these records start from 1890, and they go right through until 1960. Uh, and they list all passengers, regardless of whether they are alien passengers or British passengers, as long as they were onboard vessels which arrived at British ports whose journey had started outside Europe and the Mediterranean area. The current uh, catalogue data for the series BT-26, which is what these incoming passenger lists are, allows you to search by name of vessel, by name of port of arrival, by name of shipping line, and by name of the port in which the ship started its journey to the UK. However, it does not allow you to search by name of passenger, which is what most people want. It does include all British ports, and they include Irish ports as well, until the Irish independence in the 1920s. However, it's much improved catalogue data. Prior to... Uh, in 2005, you could only search these records if by the name of the port of arrival. It didn't list the name of ships or anything like that. So before then, you had to use what's known as the Register of Passenger Lists, which are a series of books in BT32, and the reliability of those records are now, is now fairly negligible as the data is now on the catalogue. Now there's an example of an incoming passenger list. This is quite a late one. It's from 1948, and this is an arrival on the 21st of June from 1948. And it's a arrival at Tilbury Harbour, just outside London, and it's one of the most famous lists in the sense that it's the incoming passenger list for the Empire Windrush, which was a vessel which arrived in June 1948, bringing across migrant workers for the Caribbean to help rebuild British uh, Britain after the, the end of the Second World War. And as you can see, this particular list is actually nicely typed. Uh, the names of the passengers are in strict alphabetical order. Uh, so it's much easier to use than some of the earlier ones. Some of the earlier ones are handwritten. There's no uh, arrangement by name of passenger. It's just as they really got on board. 
the only divisions really is that you'd get separate lists for first-class passengers, separate lists for second-class passengers, and you also get separate returns for British passengers and for alien passengers. Uh, the information you get on passenger lists, as you can see, is the full name of passenger, it's the port where they, where they uh, embarked, and it's the class that they travelled in, whether they were British or alien, their ages, and then you get a, propo a proposed full address in the United Kingdom. And this field starts to appear in incoming passenger lists around about 1922-1923. Uh, the occupation field also appears from around about 1905. But quite clearly it's difficult to access names on passenger lists unless you know when they arrived and you know, bearing in mind that there were thousands and thousands of people arriving, particularly after the First World War, uh, Second World War, but also before then, and uh, unless you knew the port of arrival or, or, or what ship they arrived on or the month, it was, it's going to be a very difficult and long trawl through the records that we have. Uh, it's not all bad news because the Moving Here website, which is www.movingheer.org.uk, has gone through and indexed and digitised a majority of passenger lists from 1948 to 1960, specifically coming from the Caribbean or from Southeast Asia. So bringing across colonial uh, workers across to Britain, so British workers from the colonies who, in, who intended to settle in Britain. And this can be searched, as I say, free of charge by name of passenger on the Moving Here website, and you can download the images. And there is, in fact, uh, the same passenger list, which I just downloaded from the website. So that, again, is a passenger list arriving in Tilbury, the front page of the Empire Windrush. Okay, finally, I, mean, I hinted it before, uh, at the moment, there's a whole group of scanners who are currently uh, filming and providing metadata and indexing the material within the certificates of arrival, which you saw in the series HO2 between 1836 and 1852, the aliens passenger lists between 1836 and 1869 in HO3, and all of the incoming Board of Trade passenger lists which survive from 1890 to 1960. And this is part of a big immigration package which TNA hope to be made available at some point during 2008, probably towards the end of 2008. Maybe spring, I just hear. Uh, so that's going to be a joint venture with a company called Ancestry and the National Archives. If you're familiar with BT27, which are the outgoing passenger lists, and we've made those available with a company called Find My Past, uh, the information is really very similar, it's just that BT26 are incoming lists and BT27 are outgoing lists. So access to these records will be vastly improved from spring next year. This event was recorded live on October the 23rd, 2007 at the National Archives at Kew. It was presented by Roger Kershaw. This podcast is copyright the National Archives, all rights reserved.